0: As we honor those who have fallen, let's also remember to honor the one that also fell a little over 2,000 years ago for our freedom as Christians. Let's remember that as we remember, right along with everything else. Let's let's remember that because he's the one that gave us the freedom to be even sitting here and a reason to be celebrating in the first place. So let's remember that as we go into the service Love, the mark of a disciple. Are we, as God's people, as we, as we enter into this, are we as God's people fans or followers? I wanted to, I wanted to make up and tell this, tell this story. And see if we can kind of start this off and convey this in a way that I think everybody will be able to understand. If there was a, any particular married person, and you happen to know this man that was, was married. They, they happen to be good friends of yours. And this man was seen out on a date during the middle of the week with another woman that was not his wife. And say that you saw this and you went up to this man and you're like, wait a minute, brother. I, what, what, is, what is the problem here? Something is not right. Where is your wife? This man looks back and says, well, I've got a place for her on Fridays. We go out on dates and, and she's fine. We're, we're good. This, this is not Friday and this is not our date night. But it's, it's okay. It's all right. We've, we've made plans. Now, imagine your reaction to that. If it was me, I would be furious. Be like, oh my goodness, this, br- like, what? It- I don't know what I would say per se, because you don't, obviously, you're in public, so that would be a different scenario on how you would handle that. But inside, that wouldn't sit well with you, would it? So let's bring that on another level. What about Jesus? Do people know that we are Christians and then somehow with our lives we prove that other things and selfish desires have a more of a place than our Savior? We're good as long as we're here. But then when we're out and about during the week, what would somebody come up to us and say about our walk with Christ? Would they even know we had one? hits home really tough. When we start to think about it like this. So let's, let's think about that as we dive in to God's Word. I want to look first. Everybody turn to Luke chapter 14. We're going to be in a couple of different places. Luke chapter 14, verse 25, starting in verse 25. Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse number 25. We're going to read verse 25 to 27. Luke 14, 25 to 27 begins like this. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned aside to them and said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Who does, whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. There's a lot of crowds following Jesus on this particular day. As it was a custom, Jesus made quite a racket going around in that day teaching as he did with such authority. So, normally, when you've seen that, there were somewhat of great crowds trying to seek after Jesus. And at this point, we kind of, as we look at what the the cost of a disciple actually is, we, we would look at this and say, well, Jesus is doing pretty good for himself at this point. He's got plenty of people following around. His service, quote unquote, however that looked in that day, whether they were beside a body of water, whether they were sitting on a mountainside, he was pretty well packed out. So packed out that you remember on a couple of occasions he actually fed them. Because there were so many. And so we would say, oh my goodness, this, he's doing pretty good. The next thing that we may want to see right there is Jesus to turn around and to congratulate those people that were following. Because they were great crowds. But Jesus took an approach that was very straightforward, but very loving nonetheless. He turns around and he chooses to give them this information straight. He wanted them to know what really following him would actually be like. What would they be willing to give up in order to follow this Jesus? Jesus puts it very plainly. He says, if anyone does not come after me and hate his father, mother, sister, brothers, wife, children, his own life, then he cannot be my disciple. We see that in verse 26, and we got to understand what the word hate is actually saying here. It is very strong, and I think it gets a very good message across to us. The word hating is to love less, and it makes a strong command. If you go back and read that in there as as it is interpreted, if anyone does not come to me and loves Less his own father, mother, wife, brothers and sisters, even his own life. If they do not love those things less than they do me. They cannot be my disciple. We have to prove it. Our actions, that's what Jesus is making sure. He don't want, this sounds kind of harsh coming out of Jesus' mouth as these great crowds are apparently dedicated to him in some fashion. This comes out kind of in a straightforward, maybe a rude sense to us, but what about when, if we put it in our terms, what about if we saw somebody about to get hit out in the road? Now, it seems pretty harsh to go and tackle that person out of the middle of the road, but... What would be the case? If that person wasn't saved out of the middle of the road, what's going to eventually happen if they don't make it across? They're going to get run over. See, it looked harsh for Jesus to say this, but in fact, it was very loving because he was letting them know, guys, I'm just letting you know before you get into it, this is what's going to happen. He didn't want there to be any surprises when they started following him and people began to make fun of them. And persecute them, and maybe friends were going to fall away. He wanted to make sure that they knew if you are not willing to love me more than any of these other things, then you simply don't know what it is to follow me. So, for us, what about our actions? What about our time? how we treat others our desires what about those things is Jesus important enough to us to make him the top priority even if it means changing these things in our lives to line up with his standard that can't be answered by mere words this has to interfere with your life In order to be a disciple, this cannot simply be something that we let sit on a shelf and bring to church on Sundays. This has to get in there and get in the crevices and make a difference in every area of our life. Will it be a slow process? You bet. But it has to be a process nonetheless. It has to. Do we say that we love him, yet our lives don't show it? If we're going to talk about love. Let's let's look. Let's let's make sure that we understand here what love, what love actually is, and what God is talking about when He says love. Agape love is what I believe that we're gonna we're gonna dive into right here and, and really take a deep look at what this is. Agape love is the Jesus, the unconditional love that Jesus and God have for us. There's a couple others mentioned in Scripture, but we won't take time to go through those. Agape is where we are looking at at this point. It's unconditional love that God has for us, every one. This love does not require that another person love us back. It does not require for the other person to be good or meet any of our needs. What it does do is it puts another's needs above our own. That's the kind of love that our God has for each and every one of us. Turn to 1 John. Go ahead and turn to 1 John chapter number 4. And let's look. We read through this a little bit ago, but we're going to dive back into a couple of verses that I believe here are very important for us to really grab a hold of. 1 John chapter 4. Let's look at how this agape love, God's love is actually a actually proved to us look at first john chapter 4 beginning in verse 9 it says in this the love of god was made manifest or made known among us that god sent his only son into the world that we might live through him in this is love not that we have loved god but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the perfect atoning sacrifice. He completed the wrath of God for us, for our sins. God proved his love by dying, rising again to save us. That's why we're here. That's why we have this hope, not as a reward for being good or being attractive. I'm so thankful for that one. Not having something to offer him, but rather when we were God's enemies. He looked at us in John 3, 16 and 17 and it says, For God so loved who? The world. He loves all of us. That's the reason that you and I even had a shot at this thing. We have the hope that's in Christ as Christians because we have called on the name that died on the cross and saved us from our sins. When we were his enemies. Not when we were quote unquote lovable or or easy to be around, but when we were spitting in the face of God, He loved us enough to die, to make a way for us to go to heaven and to have a relationship with Him while we're here. That's how much the Savior loves us. He didn't base His love on how He didn't base His love or, or, or how He treated us on some kind of condition or feeling. That's dangerous. That's a whole other topic in and of itself. His love was a choice that he made for us. A choice. He wanted the best for us, knowing that we have nothing, nothing that he doesn't own already that we could give him in return for this service. He loves you and he loves me enough to do this. Us. Us. My challenge is this. If we are going to reach others with this same love and grace, then we must love like this. Christians, Christ-like. If we are going to be Christ-like, then we must imitate the love and use the love that God has implanted inside of us as Christians whether we're talking about friendships outside of here or relationships with the body of Christ, with brothers and sisters inside of our church, whether we're talking about sharing the gospel with the lost world, if our love is based on feeling alone, it will fail. It'll fail hard. Do you think in his humanity in the garden of Gethsemane, that Jesus cried out and was willing to, he's willing to accept God's will, but did it sound like that he really wanted to die? No, he didn't feel like that, but he loves us enough to do it. He said, not my will, it's yours. He chose to love you and me. If our love starts out like this, well, I will love them if they, fill in the blank. Or if they just act better or see things my way then then I'll love them. Do you hear that? We don't ever say that, but I think that we in America apply that a lot in our minds. Somehow we feel like that we owed or we are owed something. Really? We were sinners on the road to hell. And God came when I couldn't offer him anything and offered me everything. Somehow my attitude and the attitudes of Americans, we get that way. Somehow we feel like that it's okay to feel like we deserve something. And if they'll just do something for me, I'll scratch their back right back. Put it just straight out there. If God loved us this way, we would be doomed to hell. That's how serious this is. If God loved us the way that we just described, then we would be doomed to hell. Let that sink in. I think if it did, it would change who we are. Because God loves like this. Jesus was our propitiation. He was the complete, more than just a payment. He fulfilled the wrath of God on himself for us that we deserve. He loved us to the point of dying as we read this morning. For God sent not his son into the world is the second part of that to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. We have that privilege because of a loving God this morning. So what are we supposed to do with it? God's love returned. What are we supposed to do? Let's look at the next two verses. Look at verse 11 and 12 of this same chapter in in 1 John. Verse 11 and 12 says this. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected. You hear that? His love is perfected in us. Since God loves us so much, our duty and privilege now is to return that love to others. Perfected, worked out. He put it in us after he left this world, and he said, I'm going to give you another comforter, and by that Holy Spirit, you are going to be able to love like me. That's what we're called to do, not to say it, to do it. We've all heard the term on TV, if you've watched it enough, talk is cheap. You've heard, we've heard this. This is not the first time, I don't think. Talk is cheap, and it couldn't be more true when we're talking about this love that our Savior is about. We cannot, listen, we cannot Say that we love God and have any hate in our hearts for another person. It outlines it in Scripture. God is love. We Cannot walk around with hate in our hearts for no matter who it is, whether in this church, outside this church, in our community, in our world, on the mission field, wherever that may be, if we have any hate against those people, we better be getting that right. Because my God is about love. My God saved me and reached down when I was a sinner and hated him and saved me. And we've got people that are waiting to hear that, and we must get this wrong attitude about love out of our system if we're going to be about doing our Father's business. We have to. If we are genuine Christians, then we will love each other and treat each other differently as people. Just the way it's going to be because God, you can't help it. It's the natural reaction, it's something that's going to well up inside of you. You begin to sing all this the overwhelming, never ending, reckless love of God. Oh my goodness. This is what should be welling up inside of us for each other and for the lost. It's one thing to say, I love you. I know it's a big deal right now, guys. It's one thing to say it. But it's a completely different thing to actually have a concern for them deep down. It's a completely different thing. Do we really care? About each other as Christians? Do we really care about the lost enough to share Jesus with them? No matter what that looks like. Whether it's here, whether it's at work, whether it's at school. And then on the other side of that, are we loving each other to the point that we have strength to even do that? Love is the center here. It has to be. It's what God is. It's who God is. And if God is the center of my life, then this is going to be what the center of my life looks like. Is our love shown in our actions, or does it simply stop with our words? Look at verse 12 one more time. No one has ever seen God, but If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. When others look at us, and you guys know that even after you're a Christian, sin is still tough, isn't it? Temptations are still there. Satan now doesn't like you all the more. So it's going to be a rough ride, and Jesus promises this as well. But the process still has to be there. We can't use the fact of our imperfection to quit walking toward Jesus. That's wrong. That cannot happen in a Christian's life. We must continually walk toward our Savior. So in looking like our Savior, as we grow up in Christ, mature, learn new things, challenge our mind with deeper scriptures, as we do these things... Can others see a picture of what God looks like by the, how we love each other and how we love the lost? Can they? Can't answer that again. We're not looking for an answer audibly. I'm, I'm, I'm asking you to think on this. Does the gospel interfere with this part of our life? Does the gospel interfere with this part of our life we read it we memorize it in every vbs at some point john 316 is always there but does it just rattle off his words or does it make a difference in how we are and who we are in christ does it does it impact us whether we are speaking of other Christians are those who are lost that don't have a respect for Jesus that may not even have a respect for us we began the conversation with that, with that phrase that sometimes that people just really don't care to treat us the way that we ought to be treated even when we're dealing with those people Will they be able to look at us as we grow up in Christ and look at us as producing the fruits of the Spirit and see they got something that I feel like I need? Or would our actions simply turn away from ever coming to Christ? That's anywhere we are, church. The mission field starts right here. Love for Jesus has to start right here. Jesus told his disciples that you will be known as my disciples by what? How you love each other. You see, if it doesn't start here, church, It's never going to make it outside of these walls. And when the world looks in, are they going to see Jesus? If we are not loving each other here and not modeling this behavior as Christians, then there is no way that we'll be able to show it to a world that needs it. Guys, this hits home with me hard. I've got family that I know if they died, they're going to hell right now. They don't, they don't necessarily like me either. They don't really treat me with respect. But I'm telling you something. My, my heart goes out to them. If we just open our eyes and look around us, guys, there are so many more important things than what we put there. Our selfish desires and our own ambitions will lead us into nothing but sin and when sin has fully conceived it does nothing but bring death and division and quarrels and fights and brothers and sisters it is not to be so among us. He loves us too much for that. We dove into last Sunday night with Abraham and Lot. Abraham and Lot were journeying. Lot was now, this was Abraham's nephew. And Abraham had every right to say, you know what? I'm the uncle here. I've got to say so. You're just going to take whatever's left over. But you know what he did? He said, Lot. I trust my Savior. You take what you need, and me and my family will take the rest. Isn't that beautiful? He's like, this happened in the middle of a a quarrel that was happening between Lot's family and Abraham's family. And they were both too big, and they had too much stuff to actually manage in the same place. And so Abraham, a quote from Abraham is he looks back at Lot and he says, look, let me do this. First off, why are we fighting? You're my kinsman." You're my family. So I tell you what, you take what you need, and I will take what's left over. Isn't this what Jesus does for us? He gave us the best that heaven could offer. How dare we give others anything less? We are here to serve as a church, we love each other and there are lost people going to hell. I don't know how many times we could say that over and over again to maybe spur us up a little bit, but there are lost people going to hell from students all the way up to older people that need to hear this love of Jesus and it needs to come from right here. We sing it all the time, send the light, the blessed gospel light. Where does that start with? Here. We have to send it from here. Here. It has to start with us. Are we producing fruit as Christians and growing in our love for others? Let me challenge you one more time with this. If people see the way that we love and we treat them, And each other. Do they see. A correct picture of the Savior. That we say. That we serve. Do they see. A correct picture. Of Jesus. How do we. Represent. Our. Loving. God. Consider that hard this morning, church. And the way that we treat each other, and the way that we treat lost. Because there's somebody banking on us to be the example for them. Let's pray.